Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to another edition of the Baseball America podcast. I'm J.J. Cooper. Today joined by Matt Eddy. And we're going to talk trade deadline. The trade deadline is, has come and, uh, and gone, which, well, the first of the two trade deadlines has come and gone. And... With that, there were a, a flurry of moves. It was a very busy week, and really a especially busy weekend. And, and a lot of pretty interesting names were traded. So we're going to discuss the prospects who were traded, which teams we think did well, which teams we're a little puzzled by. But before we do that, I do want to remind you that we now have a uh, mobile Baseball America site. So if you have had trouble in the past seeing BaseballAmerica.com on your BlackBerry, not a problem anymore. If you just... Go to m.baseballamerica.com on your mobile browser, and you'll get the latest Baseball America news, and you'll get it without the uh, little difficulty we had in the past. You get the top stories there. If you have a browser like I do, a mobile phone that you you kind of want to see the whole site, don't worry, that's on there too. At the bottom of it, you just click on View Regular Site, and it'll take you to the, the full BaseballAmerica.com experience. So you can get get it both ways there. But, uh, but now we wanted to jump into the trade deadline. It was a uh, – I, I think – a fun weekend. I know for Matt Eddy, who's who runs our Trade Central, I'm imagining a busy weekend for you, but 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 a a pretty eventful weekend, I guess, I would say also. Yeah, you know, um, for the past few years, we kept on hearing about how reluctant teams were to trade top prospects. You know, even for a pretty sure thing, major league talent. But I think this year the tide turned, <laughs> as we saw a number of. Players ranked in, in our top 50, midseason top 50. Players like Jonathan Singleton, Zach Wheeler, Drew Pomeranz, all these guys, you know, would have been, would have been yeah. untouchable perhaps two or three years well, ago. And, and especially what we've seen is is that we saw that teams were willing to trade pitching prospects. Mm-hmm. And we also, what we saw is, is how valuable pitching prospects are. Because if you were willing to trade a top pitching prospect, you could get some a pretty good return for your for your money. That's right. I mean, uh, Carlos Beltran traded straight up for Wheeler, Giants Mets trade. Um, but as as over the weekend, we saw that in in, uh, in effect with uh, you know the the big Ubaldo Jimenez trade between the Indians and Rockies. That was a big one. Uh, and the Astros and the Astros also you know, picked trade. Up. Yeah, and the Astros and the Braves both both traded the Phillies and the Braves both traded power arms to the uh, to the Astros to pick up outfielders. That's so, right. So I, I do want to ask you though. So now that you kind of now that the deadline has has cleared, what teams do you think did best as far as their prospect halls? So which, which team stood out to you as far as okay, this team's farm system is better today than it was when the week began last week? Well, for the second year in a row, it's the Astros. Congratulations! Mm-hmm. No team has been more aggressive selling off established major league talent as has Houston. Uh, last year they traded Roy Oswalt and Lance Berkman. Uh, this year, they traded off uh, two-thirds of their outfield and uh, Jeff Kepinger to a smaller return. But the trades of Hunter Pence and Michael Bourne did bring back substantial talent. I'm counting uh, seven players here plus a player to be named. And, uh, and, and of those seven players, I think you could pretty well argue that at least five of them immediately become you – know, four – probably five of them become – 
top ten prospects for them, or at least four. At least four. I mean, in, in those four, you're probably thinking of uh, Jonathan Singleton, power hitting first baseman, uh, Jared Kosart, the hard-throwing right-hander, and uh, both those from the Phillies, and the two guys, the two pitchers from the Braves, right-hander Paul Clemens and lefty Brett Oberholzer. Which, we were talking about this before the podcast started. We're both actually, I, the, I think the the general opinion out there is, is that, well, the Braves managed to get Michael Bourne and they didn't give up much. Mm-hmm. And I can understand from a, from a, in some ways I can understand that, that feeling because the Braves managed to hold on to their top four pitching prospects, which mm-hmm. are Tehran, Viscaino, Mike Miner, uh, Randall Delgado. Those four guys they managed to hold on to. Mm-hmm. That being said, we both, I think, like like the the guys that the Astros picked up in this. I think Paul Clemens in another organization would be a, uh, a more of a name prospect, I guess. Mm-hmm. And kind of the same thing for Oberholzer. You know, he doesn't get it done with classic stuff, but he's got some funk in his motion. He throws three pitches. He's you know he's probably a three or four type starter. He's in some ways he's a little similar to Jay Happ. I don't know if that's um, reassuring to Astros fans. Hey, and get another Jay Happ. For Astros fans. <laughs> but uh, speaking of Astros Phillies trades. But the, the the fact, I mean, these two guys have come on pretty quick too. These are 08 drafts who are have established themselves in Double A and will be ready for the major leagues next year. And tell me, tell me what it is you like about Clemens. Well, to to me, Clemens is a power arm, 93, 94, 95 mile an hour fastball. He'll run up even a little better than that at times. And and I'll, my bias is always towards if you have a guy with a with a plus fastball who is having success. Now, plus fastball by itself, if you can't. There are guys in, in low A who throw 98-99 with awful deliveries and have no clue of where the strike zone is. I'm not just saying, hey, just sign every guy who, has a, who, who lights up a radar gun. But if you can do that and have success, and, and Clemens has had some success, and especially in a case like Clemens, Clemens has gotten better. He went back and forth, bullpen, starting rotation, and a little bit of that was, I think, done to limit his innings and all in, the, mm-hmm. in past years. But he's shown... He's a better pitcher. He's a more consistent pitcher. He's gotten his delivery smoothed out a little bit, and he's throwing strikes more consistently this year. And you see a guy who's really not that far away. Again, you said, I mean, this is a guy, we're talking about guys who are in the upper levels here. If I'm the Astros, that guy ideally is in my starting rotation sometime next year. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have the great thing if you're the Astros is, is you're going to give, you have the ability to give him plenty of starts to figure it out. Now, there are guys, obviously, with that kind of stuff who don't figure it out. But if I'm the Astros, that's the perfect kind of guy that I want to bring in in these kind of trades because there is the upside there of him to be at least a middle-of-the-rotation starter. And also with him, I think the worst-case scenario is is he's got, he, he has good sync on his fastball that he could be at least a, a setup man kind of as a worst-case scenario yeah. or maybe even a closer. So you've got kind of two bites of the apple there, and to me – if you look at it, that's why, if I'm the Astros, that's the kind of guy I want to bring in in trades. There's another benefit here, too, in that these pitchers come with the Braves' seal of approval, and no organization, no major league pitching staff is deeper than the Braves. Right. Now, that being said, the also I think you, you can also point out, though, that the Braves have a pretty good track history, uh, mm-hmm. a track record of if they trade, they don't trade away the guys they really want, and usually that does not come back to bite them. Usually the guys that they trade away – uh, there are some guys you can think back over the years. Now, Jason Schmidt, you could say long-term, that came back to bite him. But 
They've traded away Kyle Davies. They've traded away. I mean, and also I got to say, Adam Wainwright now came back to bite him. So yeah. they got two guys who have. Yeah. That's but, also the John Shareholtz regime, right? It's Frank Wren Frank forward. Wren, yeah. we're, we're talking to Shara, the Shara trade forward. In which case, they have dealt some valuable arms, such as yeah, Matt, Feliz. such as Feliz and Harrison. Um, I was going to say, but like the guy, the, the guy that always jumps out to me is, is like this was the Braves working their voodoo the best was Jose Capion, yeah. who got to think back a couple of years, but Jose Capion had that hundred mile an hour fastball, but the Braves were willing to deal him, and he was the the cornerstone of the trade they made. I can't remember who it was with the Brewers, but Dan Kolb, correct? I think so. You're like, you're thank you, but <laughs> our trade central guru, but. Uh, but you look back and down the road, and Jose Capion didn't turn into anything. And there's a number of trades like that that they've done that you could, you know. But yes, the Braves have developed so much pitching that mm-hmm. I, the, being the fifth and sixth best pitching prospects in the Braves organization right now is not a bad thing. Absolutely, and we should spend some time on the guys that the Astros got from the Phillies for uh, Hunter Pence. You know, Hunter Pence had uh, two more years on his under club control, so he brought back arguably two better prospects. John Singleton, whom you've been on for a couple of years, and, Cos- and Jared Cosart. Yeah, uh, Singleton is not having a great year this year by any stretch. And you can argue how much of that was that the Phillies were stuck in a situation where, okay, Singleton had this breakout year last year in low Class A, so but he's also a first baseman. Mm-hmm. Ryan Howard is signed, uh, I think, till sometime in the is it sometime in 3005 or something like that that he's you know I think his contract comes. He's he's going to be a Philly for a long time and. Well, I mean, the best way to put it is is whether he's earning that money at the end of that contract or not, he's going to be a Philly because either he's going to be earning his money or that contract will make him pretty close to untradeable. Mm-hmm. Um, so that being said, the, the the Phillies tried Singleton in the outfield early in the season. Didn't work out too well. A, he's not a great outfielder. He's not particularly athletic. So they eventually moved him back to first base. You could really argue that the, if you don't like his year, he hasn't hit for much power. Slugging percentage, I think, hovered under 400 most of the year. But he also has gotten on base. Mm-hmm. And you also do have to remember that he was, throughout the year, one of the, I think, three youngest players in the Florida State League. So he's ahead of schedule as far as where he was playing. And scouts who see him say, you know, like I saw talked to one scout who said, you know, yeah, he, he didn't hit a ball, I think, the entire time I saw him, and I still like him a lot. I like his swing. Mm-hmm. I like his ability to understand the zone. There's there's a lot to like. There's there's some power in there. So I, I'll put it this way. A, a couple of years from now, yes, I do like him. I, I think even if you rewind it to when they picked up Brett Wallace, I personally think that Singleton's a better player now than Wallace was when they picked him up. The concerns with Wallace when they picked him up was the knocks on him was, Good hitter, doesn't hit for power. Mm-hmm. Right now, if you said what Brett Wallace, scouting report, a year and a half, I guess, in the big leagues is good hitter, doesn't hit for power. I think he's slugging under 400 in the big leagues right now. <laughs> but Cozart doing the uh, – working on, when I was working on the you know some on the midseason top 50, it's really hard when you talk to scouts about those Phillies, the Phillies Clearwater staff because they have four pitchers, Jared Cozart, or they had – Four pitchers, Jared Cozart, Trevor May, Brody Colvin, and John Pettibone. Mm-hmm. And you get all kind of different orders as far as which guy is the best of that group and which guy is even the worst of that four. And I've heard Cozart as the best, and I've heard Cozart of the worst of those four. Now, that being said, they're, they're all four good prospects. you, you got to give credit to the Phillies. The Phillies are trading from a position of strength, and this is what the Phillies have done Yes. Now, Every year, year after year after year, their farm system 
has consistently given them the ability to fill holes at the big league level, and that's hey, that's using a farm system the right way. You can produce the guys who make it to the big leagues, and the Phillies have done that because if you look at their big league lineup, it's still you know Ryan Howard, Jimmy Rollins. There, there's still a number of guys that are homegrown. They're getting a little older now, but they're all that were homegrown guys who came up in the system. Mm-hmm. And they've filled the holes around them, though, by going out and making the trades for a Cliff Lee or a Roy Halladay or, or now a uh, – uh, uh, I just blinked. Uh, Hunter, Hunter Pence. Pence. Thank you. So that, to me, I, I love this trade from the Philly standpoint, though, because I don't think this is really – even if these guys turn out to be good for the Astros, it doesn't really come back to bite the Phillies. And I don't know what you think, but to me that feels like a, a – probably that kind of finishes off the to-do list for the Phillies as far as getting ready for the playoffs. Yeah, offense was the big issue because especially right-handed uh, bat. Too. Yeah, that's. Uh, we probably should spend a little bit of time uh, hitting on the relievers who probably could be up in Houston uh, as early as September. Uh, they got uh, Juan Abreu from the Braves. Mm-hmm. Good, good sell high by the Braves. Hard thrower, not a lot of command, not a lot of secondary stuff. And and the really the the knock on Abreu is is I, I'll give the Braves credit here. The Braves signed him uh, minor league free agent, which anytime you can turn a minor league free agent into. It's funny, John and I were doing our. I think we were talking about on the podcast about about the trade deadline in advance, and we said a lot of these trades. When you talk about the big trades, there's the the guy that you have to give up in these trades, like the the, the name guy, and then there's the second guy who is kind of not far behind that guy, but the guy who okay, well, we really like that guy, but there are some warts and all. And I think you could argue in this case of the Philly trade, Kozar or Singleton, you can order those either way you want, one and two. And then usually there's a third guy who's like, ah, he's a really good arm, and we'll take a chance on an arm. Juan Abreu is the really good arm of that trade. Like, I'll take a chance on an arm. He's been around a long time. <laughs> as as has Henry Sosa, who they got in the cap injured deal. Kind of the same thing. Hard, hard thrower. Results are erratic. Maybe. You know, take a flyer on. Never know. And uh, Josh Zaid. I don't know how you pronounce it. Zaid. Right. Who's, hey, he should be up in their pen at some point before yeah. too long. And I, I, I like Zaid. So uh, I think that that's, that's not the kind of trade that you're going to look back Four years from now, the Astros are going to be, you know, celebrating a World Series chant, you know, you know, on, you know, dogpiling, you know, and and jumping up and down in the middle of the field and go, Josh Zide was the uh, <laughs> the difference. But uh, I think it's a solid trade for the Astros to pick him up. So now I'll ask you, you know, I think so. The Astros, I think we can agree. They, they had the biggest haul, which they should yeah, have. It's volume. They, they yeah. dealt in volume, and they and they got some solid prospects there mm-hmm. too. So who's next? Who do you think had the the next best haul? Bringing it in. I think you've talked me into the Rockies having the next best haul. Uh, getting uh, the Indians back to back first round picks makes a difference. Um, Alex White from North Carolina and Drew Pomeranz from. Who's technically the player to be named later because uh, that's right. Didn't sign until August 16th last year, so we have to wait. Got a Tyler Skagg situation here. And hey, that you know. If he if he turns out like does the same thing as Tyler Skaggs did that 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 would be not a bad uh... now, now Alex White rocketed through AAA this year made his major league debut and promptly got injured uh, middle finger injury he's going to be out until mid August which if you're an Indians fan and you hear finger injury you have to be a little concerned because yes. that's been the uh, the scourge of uh, Adam Miller for about seven seasons now but I believe we had uh, Pomeranz ranked a little higher coming into the year yeah I. It, and, but but you could argue those again. The the knock on White is to me is his okay. Is he going to have a third pitch right. that that makes him a uh, if he doesn't have a third if he doesn't develop a third pitch is he going to have enough to be a consistent starter? Mm-hmm. Whereas with Pomeranz, you know, is he well 
Ty, again, also, Ty goes to the lefty. If you got a chance, you got a power lefty. Mm-hmm. Pomerantz doesn't have really a great third pitch either right now, but he's a lefty. It's a little less of a concern. He also is a little further away, as you made the point. Alex White's had been in the big leagues. Pomerantz just made it to double A recently. Mm-hmm. So he is a little further behind. He should be. He was last. He was a first-round draft pick last year. But consensus, I think, pretty consensus best college arm in the draft last year. Right. Now, right. That's college draft in the arm arm last year is not the same thing as saying college arm this year because this year there was about uh, it seemed like a, a, an, an uncountable number of talented college arms in the first round but but yeah I think that if you're going to give up an Ubaldo Jimenez you better get pitching back in it and yeah and and the Rockies uh, you know have done a terrific job of kind of stealthily working in other pitchers into the rotation Juan Nicasio is pitching very well now. Yolise Chassin has been incredible well, for the most part for the last two years. Well, the, the thing about it is that it jumps out, though, is, is that, and this is hard to explain, the Rockies have done a really good job of developing international pitchers. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jimenez, Chassin, you know, as you said, Nicasio has come up and, and pitched well. The Rockies have done a really poor job of developing high-drafted U.S. pitchers. Christian Friedrich, uh, Greg, Greg Reynolds, Reynolds, Casey Weathers. Casey Weathers. You know. it's, it's, it's been a bad run. Uh, and so that kind of they, – they need some they – they, they, you're right. They have brought some guys up, but now you can kind of map out, okay, not that they didn't have Jimenez for several more years. You have to think with this, which this is the risk that you have with Jimenez. Jimenez has a little bit of a unconventional delivery, and there's some concerns. Velocity dropped off at times this year. Where okay, his contract is relatively club friendly for a couple more years. Mm-hmm. That you have to think that the Rockies trading him makes them think in some ways that that the best that they've already seen the best of Ivaldo because the first half of the season last year Ivaldo is not a guy you trade away. They also have a long track record of pitchers starting well as Rockies and then uh, diminishing. Uh, Aaron Cook, Jeff Francis, Jeff Francis Jason Jennings. All these guys have kind of hit the wall as they've gotten into their third or fourth season. There, that's, I don't know if that's a, a real phenomenon or just right, a by the stray way, speak, observation. Speaking of that, like something that did jump out to me. Now, these two guys may end up being traded during the waiver period. But mm-hmm. speaking of Jeff Francis, guy, I was surprised to see not traded. Hmm. The, the Royals, I mean, have Jeff Francis and Bruce Chen, which safely to say. The, the difference between, again, between winning 75 games this year and, and 78 games or, or whatever, not that important, but or 65 games, whatever it is, you know, with the Royals where they ended up this year. But I was kind of surprised. But I wonder if that is, is how much of a market actually was out there for, for both of those guys. I don't know. What, what do you think the, the Jimenez trade says about where the Indians view themselves for the next year, two years? Well... One thing you got to say for the Indians is, is for one, they've traded really well. You can argue they haven't drafted well at all in recent years, but they've traded really well. So you, you got to give them the credit for that. So may, you know, they they've done some pretty good job, a pretty good job of, of talent acquisition as far as working the the trade market. But I think they think that they're in it for this year. And that being said, Abalda Jimenez gives them a much better shot come playoff time. Because really, when you're talking about the playoffs, it, and this is, I think, when we get to talking about the Yankees, it's the, the argument you could make against the Yankees right now is, is that, okay, so how do you line up one, two, three, or, or even one, two, three, four? And 
quite clearly, Obaldo Jimenez is going to be pitching game one or game two of a, of a series if the uh, if the Indians have it all set up the way they want. Whereas, who and the, some of the guys that they had pitching those those who's going to be pitching that game before, not as good as Obaldo Jimenez. So, mm-hmm. I think this is definitely a play. Now they got him for a couple more years after this, but this is definitely a play of hey, we're in the Central. The Central is right. available. I mean, it's not – no one's running away with this. Well, they got to get there before the Royals do, right? Right. Well, and, uh, you know, and so I, I think that they uh, – this is the kind of trade – it's a good trade because for the from the standpoint of you get him for this year, but it's not just selling out for the playoff run either because you could argue Aldo Jimenez is going to be better for the next three years than either of the pitchers they gave up. So that's they're taking the chance on he is. The Rockies appear to be taking the chance on no. We think we've seen the best of Ubaldo, and maybe he's on the decline phase because of his, you know, his arm is not what it used to be or something. Could be. Uh, I, th- I think number three is um, the Padres' acquisitions of of uh, Robbie Erlin and Joe Wheeland, wh- whom they got for Mike Adams. I know you you like those pitchers quite a bit. Yeah, maybe, I, I maybe do. you could explain. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of those two guys. I've been a fan of those guys. I remember early last year doing a call to um, to Brad Holman, the uh, pitching coach for at the time was the pitching coach for Hickory. Now he's the pitching coach at Myrtle Beach for the Rangers. But to, to just ask him about Robbie Erlin, because Robbie Erlin was had, had a pretty amazing string as far as I think it was you know scoreless innings and all, and had not allowed walks and all that, and. And in talking to that point, he, he kind of brought up Joe Whelan a little bit too. And and this year, Erlin's had a very good year again, but Whelan's kind of been the guy this year who kind of ran away with this amazing year. Started out in Myrtle Beach and walked, really walked no one. I, I think his, if I remember correctly, when he left Myrtle Beach, in a significant number of innings, his walk number was somewhere like seven. I mean, it was, you could, he had a, uh, I think it was a seven, I'm not looking at this right now, but six or seven start walkless streak. But to go with it, it's not just that he's throwing strikes. He's got solid stuff, not blow-you-away stuff, 88, 92-mile-an-hour fastball. Developed a slider this year that he can both get over for a strike and bury to get strikeouts. Good curveball. But that combination, he, he throws strikes, he gets strikeouts, and really, in the case of both of them, you can really say the scouting report for both of them. Erlin's left-handed, Wheeland's right-handed. Both of them are fly-ball pitchers. If I'm them, and you talked about this, I know when we were talking about this trade yesterday. If if I'm them, hey, Petco Park, woohoo, because there's nowhere better to go as far as being a pitcher who throws strikes without dominating stuff. But the ball, when the ballpark, the ballpark will help keep the ball in the park, and that's Robbie Erlin's biggest problem. Wheeland mm-hmm. to some extent, but Erlin, Erlin's given up 16 home runs this year. Robbie Erlin's. Whenever he gets in trouble, it's usually a two- or three-run home run. But thankfully for him, he doesn't get a whole lot of base runners on base, so usually it's a solo shot. But he gives up a lot of home runs. I, I think you know, that trade makes sense from the Padres' standpoint because it's two two guys who fit their park pretty well. What do you think? Absolutely. I, I, I think Karma really smiled on those two yesterday. <laughs> um, and then as, as, we, as we round out the bottom of our, of our ranking – uh, I had the Mariners fourth, kind of a another volume buyer. No, I'm, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. We're gonna have to rewind a little bit. I'm, I'm gonna say like if, it depends on where you're saying your starting point is. But the Giants, to me, uh, Zach Wheeler by himself, to me is uh, is I uh, just thinking of this. Zach Wheeler 
kind of stands out because he again you got a premium pitching prospect for the Mets. You know, mm-hmm. I think that the Mets, uh, to me, the Mets getting that um, for Carlos Beltran. I, I, maybe you can explain this. To get anything for Carlos Beltran at this point was is a pretty impressive story because Carlos Beltran had had everything that to take leverage away from the Mets that you possibly could. If it seems like, you know, as far as the the compensation that he was going to get, as far as because they couldn't offer him arbitration, right? That's correct. He was also the best hitter available, though. He's a yeah. better hitter than Pence. He's a better hitter than Bourne. Obviously, he doesn't have the defensive value of Bourne, but he was the best in the batter's box player available. And, and, and the Giants felt compelled to give up one of their best pitching prospects to acquire that. Now, now I'll ask you this. Compare this. Beltran has been a, de- a deadline, a round deadline deal guy before. Mm-hmm. Went uh, Royals traded away and really got – Mark Tian, Mike Wood, uh, and John Buck, and yes. John Buck, who John Buck turned into something after they let him go. But Zach Wheeler, I mean, obviously we don't know what Zach Wheeler is going to be, but compare those two halls at the time, like in the time frame has happened. Kind of, I, I still think that the, I think that the Mets may have gotten more for Beltran now as a 34 year old with bad knees than the Royals did back then. I, th- I think it's really just a contrast in philosophies because if you think back to. Oh four. I mean, the Royals are just so dead set on getting a catcher and a third getting baseman. a third baseman. So they got him, but <laughs> yeah, they but, but they got second division catcher and that's a not second division third baseman and Mike Wood. And that's not. Whereas the Mets said, "We'll take on, we'll we'll pay a lot of the salary, but we want a premium prospect and whatever and the position." Obliged. Exactly. And you know what? I mean, the thing exactly. about this is that take a premium if you can take the best prospect you can get. The di- take the guy you like the best, and if it ends up being a logjam at some position, which you never have, there's no such thing as a pitching logjam. <laughs> you know, you never have a team that goes. I mean, I, I give you an example: the Braves right now. Yes, they have four, four premium pitching prospects in the high minors, and they have five starters in the big leagues who are are pretty accomplished right now. But even in their case, that's going to work itself out. So, I, yeah, I think the Mets, kudos to them for uh, for getting Wheeler for a guy who. I understand why the Giants did it, too. I mean, because, hey, Beltran makes them a lot better right now. It, they needed a bat. They needed a premium bat. But it's impressive considering that they had to trade him because if they didn't, they'd just be stuck with Beltran for the rest of the year, which however many wins he gives you in New York this year means nothing. And they was guaranteed to hit the free agent market with no free agent comp- no draft pick compensation. That's that's a good deal. But And so you said the Mariners, though, you think the Mariners, the the, the, the the bulk of talent that they got? Yeah, I mean, for, for a team uh, on a two-year run of historically bad offense, I mean, they need, they need to turn over every rock to find anybody who can hit at the major league level. And I think they, I think they got some good options considering what they gave up. Uh, you might, some people might put Francisco Martinez, the double-A third baseman, at the top of the list. Kind of a, a good across-the-board third baseman, you know, probably not a superstar. But and, and hard to get a full read on because he's always been so young for the league. I, I I remember someone last year saying to me, yeah, he's in the Florida State League, and if you told me that he was in the uh, Gulf Coast League as far as how raw he is, that wouldn't shock me. But <laughs> but he said, but at the same time, the tools are really impressive. And he's he's managed to hold his own despite the fact that they've moved him very, mm-hmm. very, very fast. Yeah. 20-year-old um, in double-A this year. And can you think of another third baseman who has speed, 60 speed, and that's his best tool? That's a very uncommon profile. That is. You know, um, Sean Figgins when he was playing third <laughs> base. I mean, that'd be the best I can come up with. But you know, but yeah. And they got uh, Charlie Furbush, who was second in the minors in strikeouts last year. Kind of a funky lefty. 
He's going to love, love pitching in Safeco. Probably more impact as a reliever, but I imagine the Mariners are probably going to give him a spin in the rotation. Right, and say this for him. If you explain I, – I can't really explain the, the success of, of, of Fister, really. If you break him down tools-wise, I think you could say that Furbush's stuff is better hmm. than Fister's. You know, but obviously Fister has proven he's done – he's had some success in the big league level, and, and Furbush is really just kind of hitting the big league level. But, but yeah, uh, I mean, he's – he he has some reasons. There's there's a lot there. There's a lot of reasons to at least think he could be a solid big leaguer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they got a trio of outfielders. I, I don't know if you actually want to deploy them all at one time and call that a major league outfield. However, there there are some uh, potential uses for these players. Casper uh, Wells is probably the most advanced. He uh, and probably the lowest ceiling too. Like yeah, I mean, he's, he's you know he's a right-handed corner outfielder. You know, if you squint, you can probably see a, a platoon player. He's play, he's and if you don't squint, you know, you probably see in a fourth or fifth outfielder. Yeah, and then they got um, Trayvon Robinson, who's a Triple A player with the Dodgers, whose um, statistical profile this this year is unique in that he's hit for a lot more power than ever before. He's got 26 home runs, strikeout weight, strikeout rate up. Um, and he's also hit only nine doubles, which right, is I was a very say, bizarre ratio. Safely, you could say his doubles aren't going to turn into home runs. You know, you got to worry in this case that the home runs may turn into doubles because he's got it's, it's a very weird split. Yeah, but he's one of those players kind of caught in between. Not really a pure center fielder, not really the thump for a corner. But if he's your third best outfielder on a, in a major league outfield, you're probably doing okay. And if he's your second best outfielder, it's the Mariners outfield. That's you know, I mean, that's <laughs> I mean, that, this is a team that. Uh, Again, the, one of these luxuries you have is is that they're going to be able to give some of these guys some at bats because yes, they okay. don't have anything better to give them to otherwise. Yeah, and and Robinson and, and Wells are on the forty man already, so you will be seeing those guys pretty soon. And the third piece they got, um, you can probably pronounce his name better than than I can. Uh, the Red Sox double A outfielder, Xian Chang, I think, and that's a flyer. I this is a guy who at the start of the year would just be the ultimate throw in in a trade, but mm-hmm. But Chang has gotten his diabetes under control this year, and with that, he's been one of the best hitters in the Eastern League, slugging over 600 up pretty much for most of the year. So there's some pop there. He's a corner, he's another cornerback. Mm-hmm. You know, Robinson's up. I think I really we got a couple of tweeners here, and then a guy who in Chang's case, he's definitely a, a cornerback. Definitely a corner. But, but he bats lefty. He's got some pop. Got some pop, and why not try? I mean, he, again. These guys can't be much worse than what the Mariners have been doing the last two years because their lineup has they been. They might be better hitters than Ryan, Ryan Langerhan. I'm going to go out on a limb. And yeah, I, and that's yeah. I, I mean, they're, they've they've realized that they have a problem now. Are any of these guys impact guys? Probably not. Probably not. But they hey, it's it's uh, it's an attempt to to improve a uh, a bad situation. And, then, and when you think about it, I mean, guys like Doug Fister and, and David Pauly, who passed through three organizations previously and is kind of right. a safe go illusion. Right. These those, are those not guys are found money. Right. These are not guys where you're saying, "Okay, well that's the cornerstone guy we're giving up." That's not trading away Hunter Pence. No. no. So, I like what the Mariners did. I think that's uh, that was it was well thought out. And kind of the, the sleeper organization for me is is the Nationals. They didn't have much to trade, so they traded Jason Marquis to the Diamondbacks and uh, Jerry Hairston 
Jr. to the uh, Brewers. Who's he's been a frequent? Uh, he's he's been swapped around eight, uh, eight teams in eight years. It's I was going to say he he's basically like a bad you know gift you get and like you just keep you know just keeps trading around like okay oh well, now you get it now and then they they regift it somewhere else. That's well, he's Jerry not quite like the good luck charm like Orlando Cabrera is. No, because he doesn't make the playoffs every year. Cabrera <laughs> does, you know. Cabrera, does, who also was dealt again. Yeah, and he's now, now he's with the Giants. They're trying to defend their World Series. But the Nationals got um, uh, Zach Walters, who is a low A uh, switch hitting shortstop, prob- probably more of a, a utility guy at the major league level. But he bats lefty, can play third base, can play shortstop, can probably play second later in his career. And um, lefty hitting outfielder Eric Komatsu, kind of another one of these classic tweener guys. Not the bat for the corner, not the glove for center, but as a reserve outfielder, you know, he bats lefty, and he's and pr- he's better than Rick Ankiel. And the thing that jumps out from that, though, that is a reminder of something that I did want to talk about also. But there's a story that uh, put up today, been working on today, uh, this is Monday as we're recording this, about looking back at, at previous uh, t- trade deadlines. And so went back and, and looked at all the minor leaguers from the t- – Trade the the deadline deals from 2001 to 2010, and basically looking July 28th to July 31st to have some kind of time frame there on, on really the the guy the deals at the deadline. And a lot of these guys, they basically, if you look at the track record, a lot of these guys that we're talking about, oh, he could be a fourth outfielder, oh, you know, he, he's a tweener. The translation is, is a lot of these guys are not going to make that because we looking back, I think it was 206 minor leaguers who were traded over that time frame, and of those 206, I mean, you looked at it too. If you could say that 20 of them had significant big league careers, that probably that'd be on the high side. That'd be on the high side. That'd be a high estimation. And by, and by significant, then we would be including. That would be like the David Murphy, who was a tweener guy who's. You might, know, it might be fun to look at it in terms of how many of these players reached three years of service to even qualify for arbitration. That might be one way to look at it. And I would say the number of that would be somewhere around 15. Mm-hmm. And that's that gives you an idea. So you're talking about I think there was I think I counted 27 minor leaguers who were traded somewhere in the 20s uh, in the last in the last four days leading up to, the, to this trade deadline. So if you have those those 25, 26, 27 players, if two of them end up turning out into being significant big leaguers, then that's a that's a that's an average year. Now, I think we may see three or four out of this year, but that's the, probably the extent of it. Yeah, I mean, I think this really hammers home that um, the major league organizations know their personnel better than the uh, the acquiring organizations. You know, they right. know which guys should be expendable. Right, and, and, you there's, know? and there's a reason that they yeah, – I, I, you know, I was doing a story early this year about building farm systems and all that, and – I think it was John Bowles who knows a lot about this. He's been a manager. He's been a farm director. He's worked in front offices. Now he's a special assistant to the Mariners. But he was talking about, he said, I think it was him who said, when you make mistakes on guys you pick up in trades, that's almost understandable mm-hmm. because you don't know everything about them. You're going off of – you hope your scouts do a good job, but you're going off of limited looks, okay? Yeah. I saw this guy for a five-game series, and, and he looked really good. I, I sat on him for a week. And and unless you scouted him as amateur, you don't really know his, his makeup, right. his mentality. Whereas, he said, it's a lot less excusable when you make mistakes on guys that are your guys because you're around them mm-hmm. 190, 200 days a year. 
you've seen them develop year by year by year. You've had your, you know, your roving instructors have worked with them this year, next year. They know how they respond to instruction. Mm -hmm. They know, hey, this guy really can process a lot and put it into a game. This guy really struggles with that. They know this guy is really focused on being a big leaguer. This guy is actually just here to have fun mm -hmm. and doesn't realize that he's wasting away his chance at a big league career. All that, you put that all together, yeah, It there's a giant advantage for the team that's willing to trade. Now, that being said, that doesn't mean that every one of these prospects was traded away. The, the organization giving them up doesn't really care that they're giving them up. True. You have to give up talent to get talent a lot of times, and there's a lot of there's a general consensus out there that generally knows, hey, this guy's talent. And and also, I think another factor is I think front offices are more savvy today than they were ten years ago. Oh yeah. I mean, with the amount of video available, the scouting technique is probably better. Uh, the st statistical review, I'm sure, is better. Well, uh, an example of that is is that when we saw them, this was just in the rumors, but. In the rumors leading up to the uh, trade deadline, I was talking about the Phillies wanted to build a trade around Vance Worley. Now, I could be wrong, but I have this feeling that if it had been 10 years ago, Vance Worley could have been a cornerstone guy of a trade. Because it's like, look, he's got a really good ERA in 10 starts in the big leagues. Cool specs, too. Right. You know, And nowadays, it seemed like the general consensus out there was, oh, Vance Worley, yeah, okay, he has a two ERA or whatever, but... No, we're not going to be that excited about that. He doesn't have plus stuff. Peripheral numbers make it appear that he's probably sure. overachieving a little bit right now. Not really a, any reason to just say, "Hey, we're going to we're we got to get our hands on Vance Worley." And plus, there's the the benefit of perspective. You know, a year ago, what would he have fetched in trade? You know, for example, right? Not, not, and, near, and not nearly as much as the shiny ERA well, this year. And uh, the guy I can't help but think about that. Not that he hasn't worked out to be a a, a big leaguer, but but Jay Happ, Jay Happ's first twenty. Big league starts were really, really good. Really good, yep. And well, and the Astros said, "Hey, we want that," you know. But but I think there was a lot out there that says, you know, Jay Jay Happ's not going to be a difference maker. He could be a solid rotation guy potentially, mm -hmm. but he's not a difference maker. And that's I do think it's a lot more. There's a lot more savvy out there now. I agree. Were, were there any, any other prospect calls who stood out? Uh, you know, the Indians getting Thomas Neal for Orlando Cabrera's kind of interesting but yeah I'd, but again i think thomas neal fits in the same there's a whole lot of corner outfielders who you don't know if the bat's good enough to be a he's a right-handed hitter so he's got one that, strike working against him um to me I, I guess if there's anything else surprising and it's not shocking but you know it's not that many there's not that often that the yankees are a team that that kind of sits on the sidelines at the trade deadline mm -hmm. but that being said, how many guys out there were there who really could help them come? Because really, they're they're talking, and the Red Sox are doing the same thing. It's all about right now about okay, so how do we make ourselves better come playoff time? Yep. And they need the Yankees' biggest need to me come playoff time is this guy who could be the number two, number three starter in the playoffs. And you could argue Jimenez. You could, I guess, grit your teeth and argue Wandy Rodriguez, but I think a lot of teams are skeptical about that. But there wasn't really much else out there available. If you're not willing to pay the price to get Abaldo Jimenez, I don't know what else was out there that could really have uh, filled that need. Yeah, and, and you can still expect the Yankees to at least kick the tires on some players in August because expensive players like Wandy Rodriguez are going to clear waivers 
or go to the Yankees on a waiver claim. So, right. so there is still the chance. The the thing that jumps out. The one thing I'll say though that did seem puzzling for the Yankees. This is this is year two of them holding on to Jesus Montero at the trade deadline. Last year they actually would have willingly given him up if they could have gotten the Cliff Lee trade, and then the Cliff Lee trade fell apart, and so they ended up holding on to Montero. At this, if we're if we're still talking about Jesus Montero, Triple A catcher Jesus Montero at this time next year, I do believe that Jesus Montero's shelf life as a valuable prospect diminishes the longer that they hold on to him in Triple A, because clearly he's getting somewhat stale in Triple A too. He's not having as good a year his second time through the league as he did last year, so I, I understand them wanting to hold on to him because hey, we didn't feel like there was anything that we could get back commensurate for his value, but. If we're talking about Jesus Montero trade chip in 2012, I think that's a lesser trade chip than what we're talking about, especially go back to 2010. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And plus he goes on the 40-man this offseason. So uh, now, now he becomes more expensive to the Yankees. Right. Although uh, I'll say this, like with Batances and, and Benuelos, if they think Benuelos is going to be a middle or front end of the rotation starter, yeah, you hold on to that guy because if – if, if you have that and he's not that far away, I don't think there were many guys out there who would be worth that cost in, on, on the market this time. Especially the guys who were available on the market this year that fit needs were generally productive hitters, productive outfielders. That's not really the Yankees' need. So yep. that, that jumped out. And those, those three National League teams all jumped in on those guys. Bra- right. Braves, Giants, Phillies. Which are all the teams that needed them. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the the Phillies needed a right-handed bat because it helps make their lineup a lot more balanced for the uh, postseason. The Braves just needed a bat. I mean, they needed a center fielder. They needed a center fielder, but they need a center fielder. They have their top, really two of their top three hitters are on the DL or keep going on the DL, Chipper Jones and Brian McCann right now. And they need to get Jason Hayward fixed, which I don't know if that's going to happen this year. Hmm. But they had a lot of holes offensively, and now – Hey, Michael Bourne fills one of those, so that makes that makes them a better team right now. I don't know. I don't think that's going to be enough to catch the Phillies or anything like that. But they do have the pitching that I think come the playoffs if they can make it to the playoffs. There's still a team you don't want to face because they have a lot of pitching, obviously. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But I, I do think, you know, as you mentioned, we'll still see some more trades. I mean, it's not we're not done yet. There will there always are waiver deals in in August, but. It'll be interesting. Now we get to the whole another level. You get the games that go on with, okay, is that guy going to slip through? Is that guy not going to make it through waivers? And, and so we have a, a whole other way. But, but you'll, be, you'll be taking care of that on Trade Central, I'm imagining. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, if you haven't checked it out, we got it on our front page Monday here, uh, baseballamerica.com, Trade Central. Just if, you, if it's not on the front, you can't find it, just go to our little search bar and type in Trade Central. But it's the full – Link for it is www.baseballamerica.com slash today slash majors slash trade hyphen central slash 2011. And that will get you to the page anyway. We analyze every trade, break down the prospects and the and the, the big leaguers. But as we like to say around here, the big leaguers, you know, you know, a lot of times you'll hear a trade, this guy was traded for three minor leaguers. Well, there's no such thing as three minor leaguers at Baseball America because those minor leaguers have names and they have scouting reports. And so – that's why we want to explain what it was that the guys saw in the guys they traded. Oh, that does remind me. One more team I did want to mention before we wrap up here. I don't think they got a whole lot, 
But I think the Pirates did a clever thing in that they did just enough to show fans, hey, we are trying. And they did it without giving anything up, I feel like, that's <laughs> going to come back to hurt them. That's right. They gave up Cash and a 23-year-old high-A first baseman to acquire uh, Derek Lee and Ryan Ludwig, who uh, neither of whom is having great a, gra- year. a great year. But they filling – but while over Bay, the guy who Derek Lee is replacing was having an awful year. So, <laughs> you know. Who, I mean, who does Ludwig take a bats away from? With the Pirates. Because they've got Garrett Jones Garrett on one Jones. corner. you got Duval, McCutcheon, McCutcheon in center. McCutcheon, I mean, and Presley slash Tabata, who are both injured. Who okay. are both injured. So that's, I mean, that really kind of fills a hole for them right now. But I think the key thing I think the Pirates had to do was fans in Pittsburgh are interested for the first time in a generation. I mean, there are, there are 20-somethings running around Pittsburgh who never remember – having a year where they could care about the Pirates because they never were any good. And so with that being the case, even if, as a front office, you're not so sure that you have the staying power to stay in this, you have to make the moves to show you're trying because you have a fan base who understandably would get uh, upset if you did anything else. And I think they really did. They did it in a clever way. They got two veteran guys who maybe the experience of a pennant race helps them produce but again you got to do that in a way that you don't really sell away the farm for future years that jameson tyone did not go away in any of these trades i mean tyone's still a pirate you know so they're 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 trying to do what they can without really messing up the long-term plan too and who knows i mean maybe these guys get hot for five weeks that right, happens. that's happens. all we're talking about it that happens. happens so you know but so well that's our uh, our trade uh, deadline uh, podcast and thanks Matt for for all your trade central expertise Matt again it was a very busy weekend for Matt he I think had a hand in writing up something we had 15 it? trades transpire uh, 16 I think if you count Pence on Friday 16 trades over the course of which means actually roughly 48 hours 17 because if you count the uh, the uh, 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 A's uh, Red Sox trade which was voided voided so. <laughs> So we wrote up 17, had to pull one away. I was crossing my fingers they would revisit that and make that happen. But the yeah, Eric no Bedard and plus the A's went out and got Brandon Allen. So, whatever. You know. But so, yeah, so that, so, yeah, so very busy weekend for Matt. We thank him for, for all the, the covers you did on Matt for this weekend. And that's, again, we've done, hey, we've got another prospect podcast. We're starting to get back on a nice little roll here. Um, we'll be back again next week with uh, another podcast. Uh, not sure we'll talk either prospects or might even talk a little major leagues. So we haven't talked a whole, we talked some major leagues today, but we haven't talked a whole lot of major league playoff uh, push, which we're in that point now. It's it's August. The games really count. They all count, but they really count now. So for Matt Eddy, I'm JJ Cooper. Thanks for the download, and we'll see you again next week. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.